Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 19. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all of the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timanth Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherah. In this anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up the evil practices and stubborn ways. Okay, now I'm going to pray for Nick as he does his talk. Dear Lord, uh, I want to pray for Nick and I just pray that you can really speak through him and that we can all take something away from this talk and yeah, amen. Okay. Ooh. Book of Judges is a bit of a horror story, really. I encourage you to read it. Um, though maybe if I should say don't read the last couple of chapters. Um, that's probably the best way to get you to read it. Okay, I've just had my laptop. That's okay. Because we've been asking the question, how much of the Bible applies today? And that's what we asked last time. And the answer, in part, was all of it. Um, but that then doesn't really answer the question. So all of it applies because um, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture, and he's talking about the Old Testament, is God-breathed. And he's useful for teaching, for showing people what's wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how, how to live right. So all scripture. Um, and he's speaking there primarily of the Old Testament. All the Old Testament is, is useful. So all of it applies. So that's not really the question. The question is, how does it apply? Um, how do we make use of it? And a couple of things we just need to nail in place, which we did last time, is that there is only one plan in God's mind from the beginning of the creation at the end. Um, and his plan was to carry out, his goal is to carry out his plan when the right time came that all things in heaven and earth would be joined together in Christ as the head. So God's plan has always been about Jesus and it has all been about a new creation where everything comes under the headship of Jesus. There's only ever been one plan. We said, well, what's the question then? What about the Old Testament? What do we do about the Old Testament? Well, the, the Old Testament is an illustration pointing to the present time. 
So there's lots of things that God has put in the Old Testament which, which act like a picture um, of the Christian life drawn in history. A couple of things we noted though, different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament Israel was a country. Countries can use force. Countries can still use force um, as long as they do it in an appropriate way. And we've seen that perhaps done in an inappropriate way around us. But countries can still use force if it's appropriate. That's why we have a police force. That's why we have an army. But Israel was sometimes used to carry out God's judgments. They were his people. God has never asked anybody else to do that. He doesn't ask the church to do that. And in the New Testament, we pointed out that um, the church doesn't do that anymore. It's not like Old Testament Israel. We don't carry out God's judgments. In fact, God's judgments are in the main delayed until Jesus comes again. Doesn't mean he can't judge people. Sometimes he does that in the present so the question is, we said last time, how then do we understand the Old Testament? That was the question. And a couple of things were really useful. One is to say that God never changes. He's changed slightly the way he deals with people, but God's character never changes. It can't change. God is not two different people. People talk about a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. Um, what's your impression then? What's your impression of God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament? How would you describe that? He's more dangerous. Yeah, that's a really good word. I like that. It's more dangerous in the Old Testament. Yeah, and I think in some ways, and, th and that's one of the things I think about, you say, it, um, God not changing and God drawing pictures is one of the reasons I think we have the Old Testament is so that we realise how dangerous God is. Because he's still really dangerous, but we, perhaps we wouldn't know that if we didn't see how dangerous he'd been in the Old Testament. So it's really helpful. So we see from the Old Testament, we see God never changes, and we see that human beings always fail. So I'm going to play you this. This is a Bible project, introduction to um, Judges, and uh, we'll have a go. So I'll need some sound for this. Yep. DVD sound. That doesn't sound good. Laptop DVD? No? Hang on. Not doing very well today, are we? The Book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the Promised Land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future. And you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. 
then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges. And the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter one gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now, remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. I'm going to pause there because I'm going to ask you a question. Um, how many judges do you know about? How many judges do you know about? One. <laughs> Who's the one? Deborah. Deborah, well done. Do you know anything about Deborah? She was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good start. Okay, another judge. Samson. Samson. Can you give me a potted history of Samson? He had long hair. He had long hair. Yeah. And um, yeah, okay. And what happened to him? Can you turn this mic down a bit, Anna? Can you turn the mic down a bit? Thanks. Um, he had long hair. And what happened to him and his long hair? It was a source of his strength because he'd made this vow before God. He was a Nazarite and uh, the vow. And so when the hair was cut, the vow was broken and, and his, his power was lost. Okay, who, who um, anything else you know that Samson did? Killed lots of people. Killed? Killed lots of people. He killed lots of people. He did, he killed lots of people. And he's famous for being captured um, by the Philistines um, and they gouged his eyes out. Um, and this is typical, this is typical judges. And at the end, um, they brought him out into their temple to kind of like parade him. Here's Samson, we've got him. And he stood between two pillars, pillars and, he, um, and for that one moment, his strength returned. And he pushed the pillars out and the temple collapsed and he killed a load of Philistines in his death. A any others? Um, a couple came up there. No, anybody else? Clever people at the back. Gideon. Yeah. Gideon, Gideon is the man. Gideon is the man who's famous for putting a fleece out. If you've ever heard that expression. He put the fleece out one day and said, uh, I want, if Lord, the ground wet and the, um, and the fleece is dry, I'll, I'll do what you say. And then the next day he said, if the ground's dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll do what you say. Um, and uh, Gideon went out to fight whoever it was, I can't remember, uh, with, with an army. And God said, you've got too many people. If, if you go out with this army, you'll get, all, uh, you'll get all the glory, and I want the glory. And he whittled them down until they got 300 people. And they went, um, and they, they broke a load of jars, and they waved a load of torches. And the army of whoever it was, they just fought themselves and died. Um, any others? A couple of those names came up. Um, there's a lady, um, Jail. I think it's, it's, it's under Deborah. So Deborah... Um, asks Barak to go out and fight, and Barak, you know, bravely says, yeah, but if you come with me, kind of thing. Um, he's, he's not a kind of like, great picture of manhood. Um, and, and God says, because, because of that, he's, um, Sisera, who's their enemy at that time, will die by the hands of a woman. Um, and Sisera, it's a long story, but Sisera ends up in a tent and he falls asleep. Um, and this lady, Jael, 
um, comes up with a mallet and a tent peg, and he's asleep. The other one's on the side, and she drives the tent peg through the side of his head. Um, this is this is judges. It's really worth it's it's worth a good read. Um, and there's a story at the end, which I noticed on here they they won't even tell you that story at the end, um, because I'm not sure even I dare summarise it. But but a guy. Uh, a guy's going on a journey, he's gone to get his concubine, that's his spare wife, he's gone to get his spare wife back, he stays somewhere overnight. Um, overnight, then some evil guys in the city say, um, say to the guy who's put him up, can you send that guy out so that we can have sex with him? Um, and, uh, and the host says, no, you can't, but I'll send you my daughter and the guy's concubine in, in, instead. Um, and I can't tell you what happens, but she has a very bad night. Let's put it like that. And on the morning, she's found dead on the doorstep. Um, and he cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her bits of her body all over Israel. And all over and Israel come back and they just wipe out the tribe of Benjamin or chunks of that town because it was in Benjamin. You need to know this stuff for, for what comes later. But let me, let me kind of, let's play the rest of the video. Um, one lesson you should take away from this is probably don't copy anything they do in the book of Judges. Okay. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again, and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper, and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle. And then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles. And then after he dies, all Israel worships the idol as a god, and the cycle begins again. The next main judge is Jephthah, who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills. And when things get really bad for Israel, the elders come to him begging for his help. 
And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. Now, a quick note here. You'll notice a repeated theme in the main section of the book, that at key moments, God's Spirit will empower each of these judges to accomplish these great acts of deliverance. Now, the fact that God uses these really screwed up people doesn't mean he endorses all or even any of their decisions. God is committed first and foremost to saving his people, but all he has to work with is these corrupt leaders. And so work with them, he does. This whole section is designed to show just how bad things have gotten. You can't even tell the Israelites and the Canaanites apart anymore, and that's just the leaders. The final section shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There are two tragic stories here, and they are not for the faint of heart. They're structured by this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The first story is about an Israelite named Micah who builds a private temple to an idol, and that gets plundered by a private army sent from the tribe of Dan. So they come and they steal everything, and then they go and burn down the peaceful city of Laish and murder all of its inhabitants. It's a horrifying story. When Israel forgets its God, might makes right. The final story of the book is even worse. It's a shocking tale of sexual abuse and violence, which all leads to Israel's first civil war. It's very disturbing. And that's the point. These stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is the result of turning away from the God who loves them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. And now Israel needs to be delivered again from themselves. The only glimmer of hope in this story is found in this repeated line in the last part of the book. It actually forms the last sentence of the story. Israel has no king. And so the stage is set for the following books to tell the origins of King David's family, the book of Ruth, and also the origins of kingship itself in Israel, the book of 1 Samuel. But the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. And that's the book of Judges. So that's got you really depressed. Okay. Um, it, it is. It's, um, read it. But then we've got to just I want to ask three questions. I want to ask how is God revealed? How is God revealed in, the, in this book of Judges? Because what we really see, as you see, as you've got the outline of the book there. Uh, Israel gets a judge. In other words, somebody rescues them. A leader rescues them. They have a, uh, they have a bit of a time of, uh, of, of peace. Um, 
they go back, within that time of peace, they, they go back to worshiping idols, to just being like the people around them. And then they discover they're being oppressed by the people around them, and they call out to God, and God in his grace um, sends them another judge. How is God revealed in that? Because we said God is, God is always the same. God works in different ways in the Old Testament and New Testament. But one of the things we learn is that God is holy. God is holy. And he wants people who are like him, who are holy. He doesn't want people who are just like. He doesn't want his people to be just like everybody else around them. He wants people, he says, be holy because I'm holy. We see a God who is angry with sin. He's angry enough with, with sin to let his people suffer when they sin. That God is holy and we see that we got it. I think that ties in with God being dangerous. God is dangerous because he's holy um, and he's dangerous because he wants his people to be holy and, he, and he's angry with sin. But what we see in, in this is that God is just amazingly compassionate with his people. Sorry, typo. Um, God is compassionate with his people. He's amazing, really. These are people, his people, who he's called out. He's rescued them. Uh, he brought them out of Egypt. He's, you know, they've walked through the desert with a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. Um, and they just ignore him. They just say, I'm going to be like everybody else around me. And the Lord is amazingly compassionate with them. He is committed to these people to save them. And he does that repeatedly again and again and again. And so we see the Lord is, the Lord is gracious. He uses imperfect people. I think that's one of the encouragements in a strange kind of way about the book of Judges. The Lord uses, as we saw uh, there, some really screwed up people. But the Lord is gracious. He uses imperfect people. That should give us some hope, even cowards. But... And I think this is really critical to when you read Judges. Just because God uses someone doesn't mean that the Lord agrees with their behavior or their theology or their understanding. And I think there's an element of truth in that today. Just because someone, God seems to use someone, God is so committed to rescuing his people um, that God will use dodgy leaders at times. Um, how do the people fail? Well, the people always fail. I think in some ways, what the Old Testament does is it teaches us through failure. It teaches us by seeing what's missing. So the, old, the, the people of Israel, they're, they're rescued out of Egypt, but they're not saved from their own sinful natures. What's not happened is they are not changed. They've been rescued, their external circumstances have been changed, but they have not changed. Um, there's something missing. They need a different kind of rescue. This, this rescue out of Egypt, out of slavery, and, and giving them some laws um, has, has not been enough. How did the people fail? It's really dramatic that within a generation, Israel have, have fallen. They've gone away from God. From one generation to the next, they've gone. People don't pass on their faith to their kids. I know you're not thinking about that, and you're not thinking how you're going to teach your children, but, but f so file this one away um, for later on. Um, you need to pass the faith on to your kids. It doesn't happen automatically. I think we should learn that everybody worships something. Um, somebody said, I think, when people stop worshipping God, they don't worship nothing, they worship anything. And I think you find that even today, people around you, people will worship. People worship something, they'll worship anything. You know, they'll worship crystals. 
Um, you know, and you kind of think, what? Okay, when people stop worshipping God, they don't worship nothing. They worship anything. Just not the Lord, if they can help it. And their hearts are not being changed by the law of Moses. So where is Jesus in all this? Because remember, those were the things we said. We said, you can, you can read the Old Testament. We read that God never changes. We read that people fail. Um, where is Jesus in this? He's not there. <laughs> He's not there, except in absence. Jesus is the king that these people need. Jesus is the kind of missing reason um, for God's repeated mercy. If you're doing the Bible in a year, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that God, uh, quite often this cycle is repeated, where God is repeatedly merciful to his people when they cry out to him and, and trust him. How can he do that? Well, because Christ is coming and God forgives them. In, uh, God forgives them. How can God repeatedly forgive his people when, they, when they're wrong? Because Christ is coming. When he trusts God, when they trust God in the Old Testament, he counts their sin to Jesus. So Jesus is this missing reason in the Old Testament. Why, how can God be repeatedly merciful? Well, because he has a way of dealing with sin, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the kind of missing solution for God's commitment to people who break his covenant. God's made a covenant with people. They break it. He should, God should just cast them off. Um, there should be no mercy. But Jesus is the kind of missing solution for that. Jesus is the reason that God um, can be both holy and just and forgiving. If there was no Jesus to come, God would just have to be holy and just and cut them off. Jesus is, is the missing king. These people, they need a king. They need a king. That's what's missing. The, the last sentence says, there was no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What they need is a king. They need somebody to, to champion God's cause. But even as you read the rest of the Old Testament, they get a king, um, but the kings don't fare much better. The kings fall into to sin as well, and they go down, 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 down as well. So Jesus is the, is the missing king. Jesus is the missing king who changes people from the inside rather than imposing rules on the outside. So from the Old Testament, sometimes, like in the book of Judges, we, we learn by failure. We learn by what's not there. And what's not there um, is, is Jesus the King. Let me pray. Father God, we see in Judges what happens when people abandon you, when people just decide to be like everybody else. They go further and further away and they just spiral down into sin. Thank you for your mercy in Christ. Thank you we were sinners too. Thank you that there is a king who will lead us and champion our cause. Thank you that there is a, a king who dies for us so that we have your Holy Spirit, that we are changed from the inside, not just expected to... Uh, work to a set of rules from the outside but your spirit has changed our hearts because of the death of Jesus we're so grateful for that and we give you thanks in his name, Amen